So third, fourth, and fifth graders, if you want to come this way, uh, and then uh, Miss Julie, if you're going to help with the packets right here, we got packets for our kindergarten, first, and second grade. So third, fourth, and fifth grader heading this way with Kelly, Will, and Joy. Uh, first kindergarten, first, and second graders are coming down here to grab your packets. Uh, if we happen to run out, which we may, we'll make more and make those available to you. Um, the rest of us can be looking for. Uh, Luke's Gospel, the 12th chapter. Luke's Gospel, the 12th chapter. Grab a Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, they are in the chairs around you. Uh, if you do not have your own copy of God's Word, as I try to say as often as I can, please feel free to take one of these with you so that you can have it uh, in your home and for you. Uh, there are lots of things going on. I do want to, uh, we, we are having regular guests weekly. Uh, I want to point out this is Sarah Aiken. Uh, Sarah is our interim minister to children and families. Jen Abercrombie, uh, who many of you met a couple of weeks ago, our minister to children and families, will be moving here uh, coming this summer after her youngest son graduates. But if you have kid-type questions, what's going on, why do we do the rotation thing, what happens on Wednesday nights, those kinds of things, Sarah is available to you and we'll be glad to help you and answer those questions. Uh, Luke chapter 12, we're going to go there in just a minute. I want to just, again, as we do each and every week, uh, as an act of worship, not just a, a flyby drop-in, but as an act of worship, we give our tithes, we give our offerings. God has given us numerous opportunities to, to minister and serve uh, and love on the community that He has called us to here in Brevard. And so we uh, just ask you to be obedient, ask you to continue to be faithful as we continue to do what God has called us to do here. Uh, a couple of things just from a calendar standpoint. This coming Wednesday evening, we're going to have a family meeting, one that we had to reschedule. Just going to take some opportunity during our worship. We'll have our normal midweek time where we are going to study. Uh, today. Uh, this week we're in Malachi. We're ending the Old Testament. We've been doing Route 66, an overview of every book of the Bible. This week we're in Malachi. We're also going to begin to give a greater and greater emphasis on prayer. As we began last week, our first night of prayer, we're going to have others of those in the future, but we're going to continue to learn how to pray and continue to give an emphasis on prayer as we grow as a faith family. But we're also going to fit in uh, just some of the things that we want you to know that are going on in the life of our church and faith family. And then next uh, Saturday and Sunday, we're going to have a couple of work days as we uh, do some things that we can do around this campus. Eventually, we're going to have to talk about a larger, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, a larger emphasis, a larger campaign to focus on much needed renovations on our building and on our campus, but there are always some things that we can do. There are even things that I can do uh, to, to serve our, our campus as we make it uh, that much better. And then on March the 27th, uh, we want to just continue to invite you, but we also want to ask you to invite others. So all around the campus, out in the lobby, uh, when you came in, there are going to be stacks of these cards. It's just a simple invitation that you can hand somebody uh, to invite them to uh, the, the story, which is going to be, a uh, we've got about 80-member choir. We're going to have a band. Uh, it's going to be an incredible presentation, an incredible gospel presentation in music. Um, and so you will not want to miss that, but you don't want to come alone either. And you don't want to wait until the Saturday before to call somebody and ask them to come. You got to start hounding them now uh, That's so that they're like, fine, I'll do it. You know, and that's how we get people here. <laughs> Just kidding, sort of. Um, 
Before we dive into our main text, I want to read a passage of Scripture that you may or may not be familiar with, but one that I would, I would encourage you to commit to memory. It's from Paul's second letter to his son in the ministry, uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. We're not going to stand quite yet, uh, but would you read this out loud with me? All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Just so that we're all on the same page, that is, that is not a gender-specific man. That is a mankind. So if you wanted to fit man or woman, if you wanted to say that, but let's say that again, uh, just in, in, in with oomph. Let's give it a little oomph, okay? All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we have been journeying through the Gospel of Luke, one of the aspects of the way that the, that the physician, Dr. Luke, one of the ways that he writes, the reason I bring up Paul's word to Timothy is because there is such an intentionality in the way that the book is written, in the way that each book of the Bible is written, for that matter. The way that each author has been led by the Holy Spirit has not, it's not been simply just to jot down a hodgepodge of thoughts all willy-nilly. That's not how that's not how Scripture was inspired. Each author uh, has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to weave together the story that they've been instructed to share, to 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 communicate the information that they've been instructed to share in such a way that this becomes a manual, a handbook that has been brought together with intentionality and with purpose for the benefit of both our earthly and our eternal lives. And I hope that I hope that you see that every week. But I hope that you'll see it today as we journey through uh, a portion of Luke's gospel. With that said, if you are physically able, I would invite you to join us as we stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 12, we are going to be starting with verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet, God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet, I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will He do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly, await, eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom." Sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old and an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. May it be pleasing to you. You are my rock. You are my redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase. And may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started because we have been in your presence. We have heard your voice. And we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, I want to revisit this idea of intentionality. And I want to go back last week. I want to go back to to where we were last week. But I'm, I'm going to make it a little farther in chapter 11 than I did last week. For those of you that were here, I'll give you that a second. I made it to verse 1. Chapter 11, starting with verse 1. If you got your Bible, just turn back a page. I'm sure he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Then if you were with us this past Wednesday for our first night of prayer, you began this journey with us. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. So Jesus is starting to talk to his disciples about prayer. So what is prayer? This was the first question we asked Wednesday night. Prayer is speaking with, communicating with, listening to God. It is part of being in a relationship with our Creator. So Jesus gives them this model prayer, which we will continue to focus on and learn as we strive to be a people of prayers. We strive to be a faith family of prayers. We strive to be the faith family of prayer that God has called us to be. Jesus gives them this model prayer and then he tells them a parable. What's a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is, an, it is a um, story that uses illustrations that you and I can identify with, but it has a greater kingdom impacting, kingdom focused point. So he gives them the model prayer. He tells them a parable and then he explains the parable. And that's where I want to pick up with verse 9. He tells the parable, and then he explains it by saying, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the doors will be opened. So don't misunderstand this. This is not that verse in Scripture that should cause us to think of God as this cosmic Santa Claus. Ours is... is Ours is not a name it and claim it kind of faith. Uh, God's purpose for existence is not to fulfill our wish list. Psalm 37, verses 4, 5, and 6 tell us, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. Or a little more directly, John, the disciple, not the baptizer, he tells us in his first letter, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have before for him, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. He's not a cosmic Santa Claus. He is a heavenly father. He is going to do what is for our good and his glory. 
He's going to do what is for our good and His glory. He gives us our desires when our desires come from our delight in Him. He's going to grant us our desires when our desires come from our delight in Him. When what we are desiring is intended to honor and please God, when what we are asking is going to magnify and point people to Him, that's when we can make requests, that's when we can petition Him, that's when we can ask Him in confidence, when we ask, when what we're asking for is going to align with his will. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by growing in Christ's likeness. Don't be conformed to this age, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by growing in Christ's likeness, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And when you ask according to that criteria, you can know with certainty and with confidence that he is going to answer and he is going to provide. So this conversation with Jesus and his disciples begins with, Lord, teach us to pray. And part of the lesson, the ask, seek, knock, is a focus of God's will as well as God's provision. Verse 13, if you then who are evil, we're all human, we're all selfish, we're all sinners. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us. The Holy Spirit is the one who directs us. The, one who, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now hold on to that thought. Hold on to the thought of God as a giver, as God as a provider, as God as, as Jehovah Jireh. Just say that with me. Jehovah Jireh. That is one of those names of God that as you're learning to pray, I would encourage you to put that in the back of your mind and use as you pray. God will provide. That is the verb. The key verb of that statement is not might, is not, it's not can. It is God will provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. As we consider not as a cosmic Santa Claus, but as a heavenly father, as we, as we think on him as giver, as we think on him as provider, as we think on him as Jehovah Jireh, go back with me to Luke chapter 12. Start with verse 13 this time instead. We'll get to the passage that we read just a moment ago. But I want to read this. This is verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Let's cover that for just a quick second. So where is this guy not? This guy is not mourning the loss of whoever has left the inheritance. This guy is just, just asking Jesus a question. He's out trying to divide the inheritance. He's out trying to, trying to undermine his brother. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He then told them. So he's turned his attention. He's got the question from the, from the someone in the crowd, but he's turning his conversation to everybody else that's there as well. Watch out. Be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. 
But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now let me tell you what this passage is not saying. Let's be very clear, because sometimes we put on Scripture what we think it's saying, and then we, that's what we, we walk away with misinformation. Let me tell you what this passage is not saying. This passage is not telling us that wealth is bad. This passage is not telling us that we aren't allowed to have nice things. That's what toddlers are for. <laughs> Scripture never tells us that money in and of itself is a bad thing. Again, Paul writing to Timothy in his first letter, chapter 6, verse 10. It is not money. It is the love of money. It is the passionate uh, pursuit of money. It is the all reckless, abandoned pursuit of money. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And by craving it, by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith. It is not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money. It is the craving of money. It is the it is the not being able to be satisfied by anything else, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Some have pierced themselves. Uh, they've wandered away from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. The key phrase is, and by craving it, uh, the, the phrase used, uh, watch out and be on guard against what? Against greed. The word, the Greek word here is plexonia, pleonexia. It's pleonexia, and what that word means is an insatiable desire for more. It is an unsatisfiable desire to have more. In other words, it's not simply that a person might want something because there is nothing wrong than wanting something. I want my girls to be able to go to college. I want to be able to provide for my family. Uh, We have trips, places that we'd like to go, things that we would like to do, places we'd like to see. There's nothing wrong with wanting something. It is when you have this insatiable, this unsatisfied, you cannot be fulfilled because you always want more. That's what the focus is on on here. The desire is always more. You're, fu- you're fulfilled by wanting more. The heart only beats for more. Nothing God has provided is enough. Nothing God has provided satisfied. Nothing that God is is enough. Nothing that God is satisfied. And furthermore, it's not even about just having more. It's about only wanting more for oneself. Look again at the parable. Verse 16 says, a rich man's land was very productive. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being successful. Nothing wrong with having uh, an an abundance in in productivity. And he thought to himself, what should I do to store my crops? There's nothing wrong with that. This guy's obviously a planner. He's probably got a daytimer. I really like him. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8 encourages us to plan and prepare so that we can provide for our families. He says this in verse 18, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And I'll store my grain and my good there. And the good's there. This is where the problem starts, and we'll come back to it in just a minute. Then in verse 19, he says, he says, I'll say to myself, Self, you have many goods stored up for years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Now let me start the end here, and let me make sure we understand what it's not saying. Is God against us enjoying life? No! But you ask a lot of people outside of the church, and they think that's exactly what God's just, God's just here to take it all. You know, I can't give my life to missions because then God's going to call me to Africa. I'm not doing that. I don't want to go to Africa unless I'm on a safari and feeding a giraffe. (laughs) 
God, is God against us? Enjoy? No. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I'm throwing out several scriptures today. I hope you're writing them down so you can look for them later. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. God says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It's also the gift of God when anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. Other translations may say they enjoy the fruits of their labor. John 10.10, I quoted it last week. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Your translation may even say, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, I quote this often as well. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond, exceedingly and abundantly, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the power that works in us. Does God want us to enjoy this life? Absolutely. Does God want us to be fulfilled? Absolutely. What He does not want is for us to mistakenly believe that that joy and that fulfillment come anywhere but from Him. He wants us to be fulfilled. He wants us to be satisfied. He wants us to enjoy this life to the fullest. But what he doesn't want us is to mistakenly believe or mistakenly understand that that joy or that fulfillment comes from anything that we do or anything that we are. And what has happened in this parable with the rich man is that the rich man believes that in and of himself, he is the end all be all. He is his own provider. He is his own sustainer. He is his own source of life and joy and fulfillment. So he's focused on himself. He's so focused on himself that he misses two significant truths. Number one, there is another side of life. What you and I are experiencing right now, that is this side of life. This side of life is temporary. Peter calls us strangers. Paul tells us that he reminds us that our citizenship, those of us who have given our lives to Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. There's another side of life for, for those who have given their lives to Christ. The other side of life is heaven. For those who have rejected Christ, the other side of life is an eternal separation from God. The man in Jesus' story here has no perspective of eternity. He is living solely for the now. Death seems so far away. The second truth, the first truth is there is another side to life. The second truth, he's so focused on himself that he misses the opportunities that are all around him. There are opportunities all around us. Again, don't read into Jesus' parable what hasn't been said and what hasn't been written. Success is a wonderful thing. Having resources is a wonderful thing. Jesus does not condemn either of those. Some of the godliest people that Julie and I have ever known, some of the godliest people that Julie and I have ever served alongside, some of the godliest people that Julie and I have ever called friends or partners in ministry or partners in life have had ample resources, have had wealth, have had everything that they could have imagined. They were the godliest people, there is nothing wrong with success, nothing wrong with having resources. It is who we credit for those successes and who we credit for those resources that Jesus is concerned about. Here's a great example. As FBI continues to see success story after success story after victory after victory, may it never be the testimony of our church that we think we're the ones who did it. 
To God and God alone be the glory for every success story, for every victory. Every time somebody is saved, that's glory to God. Every time some marriage is healed, that's glory to God. Every time a guest walks into this building, all glory to God. Every time we have the financial resources to to repair or renovate our building, all glory to God. Every time we have the financial resources to do something for our community, all glory to God. Every time we have the ability to do anything, all glory to God. Our job is to merely be the conduit, the hands and the feet, the mouthpiece and the heartbeat. So when I practiced that earlier, I literally went to be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece and the heartbeat of Jesus. And I caught myself and I was like, I am the stupidest pastor on the planet. Our job is to merely be the conduit. Now you know what's going through my mind as I'm talking the whole time. I'm like, do this right. To be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece and the heartbeat of Jesus. We're just a conduit. We're just a conduit. And as God provides resources, our job is to be faithful to manage those resources with integrity and to utilize them solely for building his kingdom as we love and we serve and we reach the communities that he has called us to, whether they be right down the road or whether they are across the globe. The rich man existed in a world where there was need. There's never been a time except originally in the garden when there wasn't, but this man existed when there was a time where there was need and he was so focused on himself that he totally missed the impact that he could have had. And Jesus sums up the parable with a heavenly definition of greed. The rich man stored up treasures for himself, which robbed him of a rich relationship with God. He stored up treasures for himself, and he robbed himself of all the opportunities that God wanted to use him for. Chuck Swindle calls it a conflict between self-interest and God dependency. If we look to earthly treasures for security, for provision, or for significance, we miss the satisfaction that comes from the Lord. And then Jesus turns his attention to the disciples. And as if he's reading their minds, it's as if the disciples have heard this parable and they're asking themselves, but, but if I don't look after, after my needs, then who will? If, if I don't look after my needs, then who is going to? And Jesus says to them, verse 22, don't worry about your life what you'll eat, or about the body, what you'll wear. In verse 29, he's going to use the word anxious. And and the words are slightly different, but they both mean something very, very similar. When both the Greek words that are used for don't worry and be anxious are talking about uh, the the picture is uh, being distracted. Uh, Matter of fact, the second word that is being used is the word we get for meteor. And it's almost as if your thoughts and your mind is so scattered and in the sky. But more the more direct meaning of the word that's used about don't worry, don't be anxious. What it's saying is don't be torn apart. That's the actual physical picture that you should get. When you worry, when you're anxious, when you're, when you're so distracted by life around you that you are torn apart. Corey Ten Boom was a survivor of the Holocaust. If you, if you like to read, I, I cannot recommend the, uh, the hiding place enough. She read it like this. She said it like this. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. 
Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about the body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Again, nothing wrong with food or clothing. Big fan. They just, there's just more things important than life in life. Consider the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. He's referring back to his parable. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Here it is. Yet God feeds them. And here's the greatest part. Aren't you worth more than the birds? I sure hope so. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? I don't think I did it. Let me do it again. All I'm going to do there is pull a muscle. Pretty sure I did. If Can you add one moment of your life by allowing yourself to be distracted? Can you add one moment to your life by allowing yourself to be torn apart by things that you can have no control over? If then you're not even able to do a little thing, add a minute to your life, why would you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. We've just moved from the birds to the flowers. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor. They don't spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon... This is King Solomon, David's son. He's the wisest man ever. He was incredibly successful and wealthy during his reign. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. Uh, Scott, I think of uh, uh, Texas blue bonnets and how they just cover the fields. I wish we. I wish I had thought of give you a picture, Cindy, and you can just see. I can. I can see the picture of my niece in this flower, this field of of Texas blue bonnets, and it's just beautiful. It's just gorgeous, and I'm sitting there going, "They didn't do that to themselves. God provided that. God clothed the field." And and says, so "But that's just grass. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, it's only temporary. If that's how God clothes the grass, hear the words again. How much." more will he do for you. That's what we talked about. That's the more we talked about earlier. This is the right kind of more that we want. This is the more we should desire. The more when God provides it. How much more will he do for you? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious. Don't be distracted. Don't be torn apart. For the Gentile world, he's not as much talking about as non-Jews as he is talking about non-believers, pagans, folks who don't follow God. The Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things and your father knows that you need them. Philippians 4 19 and my God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God knows that you and I have needs. That does not miss God. That doesn't pass by God. That doesn't catch God off guard. God knows that you and I have needs. God knows that you and I have wants and he wants you to know that he's got all of that covered. Verse 31, seek his kingdom. Since he's got all of that covered. Seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. 
Don't be afraid, little flock. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. Don't be afraid because your father delights. We just talked about this in our, in our small group. We just talked about the fact that he delights when we come to him. He delights when we ask questions. He delights when we come into his presence. He delights when we ask him. Don't be afraid because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Romans chapter 8 tells us you and I are co-heirs with Christ. When we, when we give our lives to Christ, when we put our trust, our faith, and our life, and our eternity in God's hands through our faith in Jesus Christ. We become adopted sons and daughters along with Jesus. We become co-heirs with Him. And what that is saying is that everything that the Son has is now available to us. There is nothing that you and I are going to want for or need for when we are the children of God. Why? Because the Father's going to provide for it. That's not anger. That's just excitement. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. Create an exhaustible treasure in heaven. Now, before you go, am I supposed to give everything away? Am I supposed to empty my bank account? Watch for the final phrase. Make, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old. Create an exhaustible treasure where? In heaven. Say it with me. In heaven. Where no thief comes near it and moths cannot destroy it. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he is saying. Invest in eternity. Pour your life, pour your resources into people. Pour your life, pour your resources into the kingdom. Jonathan, if you just want us to give more money to the church, just say so. That's not what I'm asking. That's not what I'm saying. I trust you to be faithful and obedient in your tithes and offerings. When we come to the fall and we've got to enter into a campaign and I'm going to talk about what kind of money we need, I may talk about that. But that is not what this passage is talking about. Therefore, it's not what I'm talking about. What this passage is talking about is taking your resources, taking who you are, taking everything about you and pouring into people, pouring into the kingdom. Every time you mentor a middle school student over at Hoover, you are pouring your life. You are pouring your resources into the, into the kingdom. Every time we are obedient to going where God calls us, as we reach into Palm Bay, as we reach into Vieira, as we reach into Satellite, as we reach into Melbourne Beach, as we reach into Indy Atlantic, everywhere we reach, as we pour our lives, as we pour our resources, we are doing that. We are investing in eternity. We are investing in the kingdom. We had a room packed full of people here last night. How many of you were here last night? How many of you had fun last night? Thank God. We had a lot of people from this church here last night. We had a lot of people who don't have a church here, home here last night. We had a wonderful time. What did we do last night? We invested into the community. We invested into the people. We invested into the kingdom. Why? Because when we invest in the kingdom, when we invest in eternity, that is going to have an incredible return. I'm telling you what the text is telling us. As we pray, Lord, teach us to pray. As we pray, as we line up with what God's plan and with what God's will is, as we go to Him with every request, with every concern, as He reveals Himself to us through His Word, by His Holy Spirit, as we increasingly depend on Him and not ourselves, as we grow and mature in our faith and in our focus on Him, as we continue to recognize that our lives are about pleasing Him, about pointing people to Him, about 
about loving others, about serving others, as we focus on our relationship with Him as our desires, as, as, as His desires become our desires, as our trust in Him builds, as our satisfaction in Him and Him alone increases, as we become more and more who He created us to be, we will become more aware and more confident in the fact that our treasure is not limited to this side of life, but our treasure is invested in eternity where it can never be stolen and where it can never be restored. As you and I invest in the Word of God and in the Spirit of God, as we invest in the lives of the people around us, then we will find where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Both in Isaiah chapter 52 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. For what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. And all He asks us to do, all He asks us to do is give our lives away. Don't read into the passage what's not there. But but hear what he's saying. He's saying, as you've learned to pray, as you learn to ask, as you learn to come to me, as you grow in your maturity, as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your confidence, as you grow in your boldness, as as my desires start to align with your with your desires begin to align with my desires, as your heartbeat begins to align with my heartbeat, as your confidence be, uh, begins to align with what I'm giving, with what I'm providing, as you see me meet need after need, as you see me provide and provide, as you see me be faithful. Watch your trust and watch your growth increase. And do everything you can to invest in the things of God because they are the only things that will last forever. Invest in eternity. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in the word of God. Invest in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Invest in the people around you. And what he's asking us is do we trust him enough for eternity? Do we trust him enough for tomorrow? Will we depend on Him for anything and everything? Will we give Him glory for anything and everything? Do we, does He have our treasure? Does He have our heart? Is, is He our treasure? Is He our heart? Don't worry about your life. Give it away. He'll give it back to you beyond what you could have asked or imagined or done for yourself. Let me say that again. That was good. Don't worry about your life. Give it away. Because he will give it back to you beyond what you could have asked or imagined or done for yourself. May it be the testimony of First Baptist in the Atlantic. May it be the testimony of your pastor. May it be the testimony of our family. May it be the testimony of your family. May it be the testimony of your business. May it be the testimony of your relationships. May it be the testimony of our faith family that, that this community knows that we are here to give ourselves away so that they can experience the life-changing, unending, gracious, merciful love of our God and our Savior. And all God's people said, we'll see you Wednesday night or we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.